How are we doing? Doing all right? Why don't you turn in your Bibles, and uh, we'll see if some of this gets on the screen behind us. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. We've been going to heaven on Sunday nights, talking about what to expect, what, what happens when we die. Uh, I don't hear teaching on this hardly ever, and um, don't get a chance to teach it myself very much, but when I do, uh, it's one of my favorite subjects. There used to be a commercial on, on television, uh, I think it was a lottery commercial, the New York Lottery, and there was a guy with a megaphone or a speaker system on the t top of a big building in, in, uh, in New York City, and he was broadcasting to the whole state what the lottery numbers were, or the fact there was a new lottery or whatever. And I always thought, boy, if I had that megaphone, I would, I would, I would teach the stuff that we're teaching these days. I would tell everybody uh, about the Judgment Day and what to expect. And it's just, it's gotten into me. Uh, Revelation 20, uh, John starts describing something that's pretty, pretty amazing. I thought we'd take the evening and look at this section of Scripture. Uh, he said that he saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose faith, face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And, and that's reference to something earlier that happened in the book of Revelation. You'd have to look back at, at when that happened. There were people who were begging the mountains to fall on them uh, because they saw the face of a judge. And uh, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works." And um, if you notice, it says that the, uh, uh, when everyone was standing before the, the throne, uh, the books were open. Notice it's plural. The books were open, but it doesn't include the book of life because he says another book was open, which is the book of life. So I, I just got curious one day. I thought, I wonder what, what books were, are being opened. And um, we spent quite a bit of time teaching already that I believe God sat down and wrote your life before you were, before anything was, that he actually wrote his pleasure or his will, it's the same word, about you. And, and it's literally in a book with your name on it. And part of your life purpose and part of your great quest in life is to discover what's written in that book. And he wants to show you, but he... It doesn't just happen casually. You have, to, you have to pray. You have to insist that he show you what's in the book. We know that because Jesus, uh, when they asked him, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. One of the things he taught them, one of the first things he said is, he said, what you do is you pray your will or your pleasure that's in heaven. Let it be done in the earth. And, and what he's really saying, I believe, is that his pleasure was something that was pre-written about you. 
And you can begin praying and say, Lord, I want your will. I, I want what you've destined for me. I want what you planned for me. I want it in the earth. And the more you pray that, not as a matter of rote, but really believing that he'll show you what he made you for, what he has for you. I think he wants to show you. I think it's in his best interest to show you. But it doesn't just happen automatically. You, you're going to have to ask. You're going to have to insist. And so I just kept praying and asking, and, and uh, he'd open the eyes of my heart just with a, a very quick glimpse of, of, of my purpose and what he was wanting me to do. And, and I would just keep asking, Lord, lead me and guide me into whatever you have for me. And, and he did in the most remarkable way. I, I remember... I remember for about two years, I was a pastor up north, and, and I was bored. Uh, I was bored with my spiritual life, bored with church, bored with all the new things, all the first things that had, had all happened, and now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uh, bored. I spent my, all my firsts, and all the newness of being a pastor had worn off, and, and uh, I had slipped into this um, mundane period. And I began asking the Lord, I said, take me somewhere. Take me, take me somewhere where I don't know anybody. Take me somewhere where they don't speak English. Take me somewhere where they don't take visa. Take me somewhere where uh, all I have is you, and I trust you, and I want to see your power. And I prayed that. I mean, it was the, the prayer of my heart. And uh, as I look back on it, I think I prayed that for about two years, just regularly. Lord, take me. Take me someplace. I want an adventure with you. I want to go somewhere with you. Well, I didn't expect this, but a young Bible student that I was teaching was from India, and he invited me to come to India, and I had all kinds of prejudice in my heart about India, and so it took a while to get that out of my, out of my system. Uh, here's the only invitation I have to go anywhere, and it's the last place I want to go, and, and I don't identify with those people. And um, I remember my sister having a real burden for India. And I remember thinking, like, that's the last place I want to go. I had no interest in that. So when, when I finally went, I found myself, even though I was prejudiced against it, my heart. I think, I think the enemy knows a little bit of the will of God for our lives. And he prejudiced our heart against the will of God. I can't tell you the number of times where... Uh, I would declare things like uh, I was going to um, buy a house one time, and I said, the only thing is I don't want to live in this, and I named the town, and I said, I never want to live in a duplex, and so out of my mouth, I said, I don't want to live in this town, I don't want to live in a duplex. Well, three months go by, I don't find a house, and when I finally get really open before the Lord, the first thing he says is, look for a duplex in this town. And that day I found a house. That day I found the house. And uh, there's been different times, little things like not wanting to live on Cuca Lake, but preferring to live on Seneca Lake. And you get a, a prejudice against lakes. Like, what difference does that make? I heard, I heard a gal one time, she said, I hate beans and rice. And I remember thinking, what does beans and rice, what have, what have they ever done to you that you would hate them? What if her purpose was among a people whose diet was beans and rice, which is a big part of the world. And so uh, we get prejudice. I had a prejudice against India. But one day, uh, 
I'd, I'd been there a couple times by this time. We were walking through the jungle, and I was the only white guy. It was all these tribal people that, that uh, I had met and were working together, and we were going to a jungle church, which really was a tree in the jungle with a cloth wrapped around it that marked that was a meeting or gathering point. And people were so excited, and the team was so excited. And we're walking the trail. You're walking under, above the trail are spider webs, and there's spiders as big as your hand. I mean, it was a fascinating thing to be in the jungle. But I was so filled with joy, and everyone else was filled with joy because we knew God was going to move that night in this, in this gathering, and people were going to get saved. And, and uh, I had this flash just... Uh, faster than I could have said it, just a, 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 f a whole series of pictures of myself as a boy when I was a kid. And one of the pictures was uh, the, the, the kid who had a locker next to mine was from uh, China, and I was teaching him English, and I, I just, I loved everything about him. I was interested in everything about him different culture, and I, and I just identified with him. I was the only kid in our school who gave him the time of day. But I, I just had that flash, and, and another flash of someone else from another culture. And uh, uh, I remember I had this flash of, of going out into the woods and trying to camp alone by myself to see if I could do it, to see if I, would, if I could sleep out in the woods. And and it was like a whole culmination of things, faster than I could say it, more pictures than I could describe in an instant that made me realize I was built for this. I, I was, my whole life was, all those things were for this moment. And it was just this knowing that I was completely in his will, that I was doing what I was made to do. I was, I was made for this. And I can't tell you how complete I felt how whole I felt, how wonderful it felt to know I, I wasn't just there doing a mission trip. I was in de my destiny. And from a child, I was being conditioned and given opportunities that would help me to, to be the best missionary in that place. I wish I, I, wish I could live in moments like that, it's, it's so fulfilling. I, I wish everyone could experience moments like that where you know you're in his will. So I think when it says the books were open, I think one of the books that's going to be open is your life, that God planned for you, that he wrote for you. But he created you as a splice of his heart. You you're, are like God in the sense that he's given you a will, and you can choose your own will. And one of the things that happens is uh, angels are recording everything you do, everything you say, everything you, everywhere you go. I'll show you that here in a minute. And that book is being written of your choices and um, things that you did. In fact, it says here, they were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. So the, the, the quickest angels are recording and writing everything you do and everything you say, and that's revealed in contrast with what God wrote for you. If your life is boring and broken, you're probably not doing all that God has destined for you because there's no way he sat down and wrote, wrote boring, 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 broken, broken, broken. Uh, I, I think what he wrote, I think he just 
said, oh, oh, they'll love this. I, and he wrote his pleasure, which is the word theoma, which is his will. He wrote what thrilled his heart, and he said, oh, they will love this. So when your heart gets thrilled by an, ex an experience, I think you're getting a, a sense of being in your destiny. And then he says the book of life was, was also opened. So uh, as I, I opened my Bible and I said, okay, well, I wonder what other books are written here. I came to this one. Why don't you go with me to Malachi? Uh, Malachi, just before Matthew. Malachi 3.16. There's a powerful picture here. If you can imagine, uh, the people have been taken out of Jerusalem. They've been taken out of Israel in bondage and taken into Babylon. And then they're, now they're being brought back. And they're being restored. And they're in their houses. And they're sitting up in their houses late at night with their, with their little olive oil lamps, lamp, uh, lanterns lit and lamps lit. And they're sitting around. And, and there's this picture where it says, And those who feared the Lord... <clears throat> spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord, who meditate on his name. They are mine. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day when I make up my jewels, my crown, one translation says, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Here's the picture. Just in fact, let's let's bring it fast forward. Picture Penyan tonight. How many people do you think are in Penyan tonight, sitting around with their Bibles and taking a half hour to stand and worship the Lord and sitting down because they want to hear God's word opened? How many people are sitting around tonight, meditating on the things of God? Maybe you're it. Maybe you're, maybe you're all that there is. Maybe there's a few old people, probably not very many young people. Probably most people are watching TV, but here you are. What if the Lord calls over an angel and says, I want a book written. Write this book, a book of remembrance. I want everyone's name who spends as a priority their time thinking about me and talking about me and reverencing me. I want, I want them, I want their names recorded in a book. And then the day when I make up my crown, I want them to be the jewels of my crown. I mean, that's really, I can't imagine that there's very many people in Penyan tonight doing what you're doing. I want to be in that book, don't you? Well, there's other books. Um, Matthew chapter 10, 30, chapter 10, verse 30 says, uh, Jesus had this revelation. I don't know how he got it, but it says, he says that the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Well, where are they numbered? Um, and you lose hair uh, daily, in and out. I, I remember as a young Christian, I said, Lord, why would, you why would you count my hair? Like, why would you be interested in that? And, and I just felt like he spoke to my heart. And just very plainly said, you know, I didn't count fingers and toes and legs and arms because they don't change very much. But, you know, very few people lose a finger or lose an arm. 
And, and so, I mean, maybe once in a lifetime, so that would be like one count. But hair, hair is a picture of his constant interest in you. Constant, ever-changing. It's like, it's like he calls over an angel and says, bring your ledger, bring your ledger for Ben. We'll use Ben as an example. Bring Ben's ledger here. Change, change the tally. I mean, how many even have a ledger? I mean, maybe you have Excel on a computer, but ledgers of old, I mean, my time growing up, if you had a ledger, what you put in there are the things that are most valuable to you, what you owned and what, what you owed and what your, was in your bank account. And, and so you kept a ledger. You, the things you numbered are the things you really wanted to keep track of. Well, God has such interest in you that he's got a ledger with your hair count in it. And it changes all day, every day. He says, let's change that again. And, and it's, it's not that he, he's interested in hair. He's interested in you in every detail of your life. That's, that's an amazing revelation of the Father's acute interest in the details of your life. There are people who say, I don't want to pray about that. That's too small of a thing to pray about. Or God can't possibly care about that. Well, you don't know him. He, he, he's the God who's counting every little detail about your life. David, have a, he had a revelation, very, very similar. This is Psalm 56, verse 8. Listen to this. He says, you number, so it's numbering again, you number my wanderings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Uh, interesting question. So as I meditated on this, I, I paraphrased it, and this is what I wrote. Everywhere I go, you number and record my wanderings. You've kept track of my tears all along the way. God actually captures your tears in a bottle. I mean, he's interested in your heartaches, your sorrows, the things that break your heart. He cares. Like a map maker, everywhere you go, it's like a heavenly GPS, I guess, where he's saying, well, they went here, and they, they took this step, they did this, and he's actually keeping track of everywhere you go. David had a revelation of that. It's like a, a heavenly map maker who's keeping track of everywhere you go. David also had this revelation. We talked about this recently. Let's do it again. Psalm 139, Psalm 139, verses 16 to 18. Here's, here's what it says in my Bible. It says, Your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. That's very, very powerful. Uh, here's the New Living Bible on the same section of Scripture. Listen to this. I don't think you'll be able to pull it up, so we'll just read it. Listen to this. You watched... As I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life 
was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They are innumerable. Oftentimes when you see the word thoughts, like Jeremiah said, uh, the Lord said through Jeremiah, said, I, I know the thoughts that I have for you, thoughts of good and not of evil. It's actually the word plans or purposes. He said, I know my plan. I know, I know what I have planned for you to give you hope and to give you a future. When he says your thoughts are, are innumerable, I think what he's saying is your plans, your plans for my life are innumerable. I don't think he has... I don't think he has this, this little thumbnail sketch. I think he has amazing plans for your life. That he will open the eyes of your heart. It's called vision. He'll give you a vision of what he has for you. But you're going to have to pray. You're going to have to insist. You won't bumble into it. You have to pray, pray, it into, pray at the pass. Here's how we know that his plans are amazing for you. There's this... This little line, uh, especially in the King James Version, turn with me to John 21, 25. It's this, um, it's this little line that, that John writes about Jesus. And he said, um, uh, he said, if, if all the books were written of the things that Jesus said, he's talking about a three and a half year period. All the things that Jesus said and did in his ministry, if, if, a, if books could be written of just what he did in three and a half years, he said the world couldn't contain the books that were written. He's only talking about three and a half years. I mean, just think back. I've got cheese, that, I got cheese older than that in my fridge. I mean, three and a half years is nothing. Three and a half years is nothing. But... Um, so let's do a little mental exercise. Uh, John said the world could not contain the books. And the books back then were not, were not uh, hardbound books. They were scrolls. So with your imagination, let's cover this sanctuary floor with scrolls. And picture writing with a quill pen all the details that would fill the scrolls. Can you picture that? Use your mind's eye. Picture this carpet covered with scrolls, all written about what someone said and someone did. And then go out and fill the cafe floor and the welcome center floor and the nursery floor. And then go out and fill the parking lot full of scrolls. And we're not even out of Penyam. We haven't even left the property yet. I wouldn't want to write these scrolls. And it just go back and, and picture, picture all the streets of Penyan covered with scrolls and all the lawns covered with scrolls. And someone made a song out of that. They said, if all the world was parchment and all the water of the world was ink and every blade of grass was a quill, all of it combined could not write the love of God, could not describe the love of God. I think there's something powerful. If you can picture John saying, man, the world couldn't contain the books written of, of everything that Jesus did because he lived such a surrendered life. He experienced the innumerable plans that God had for him. I think your life could be fuller 
and more productive than you can possibly imagine, but it's going to require you just saying, Lord, I know you have a, I know you have a will for me. I know, I know you wrote something. I want it. I want it. God said in, through Isaiah, Isaiah 14, 24, <clears throat> the Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. As I have purposed, so it shall stand. I mean, as far as on his end, he wants it. He wants you to have it. But you have to insist. There's a battle for the will of God in your life, and uh, it's an ongoing battle. And God's created you with a will so you can do your own pleasure, do your own thing. Or you can say, Lord, I want your will for my life. Where do I go? What do I do? What do I say? Show me. And he'll lead you and he'll guide you. So there's some of the books that I think that are open. And then he says that there's another book called The Book of Life. And The Book of Life um, is this master ledger of everyone who loves God and, and has given God priority in their, in their lives. And in the Old Testament, it was, it, there was a book of life. Uh, you can read about it in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. It says, at that time, Michael, the archangel, shall stand up, and the great prince who stands, over watch, uh, stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as... Uh, never, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. So there's a, t a time of tribulation that he's talking about. At that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So there's been different times in history where God has kept a names. Uh, he's marked people and kept names of people who lived for him. And Daniel had this vision of a time, this, this time where a great prince, which I think is Jesus, who's watching over God's people, uh, and, and uh, uh, there's a time of tribulation, then people shall be delivered, and their names uh, are found written in his book. So I think it's kind of a prelude of what John saw. Jesus knew about this book of life. Uh, he wrote about it. He spoke about it in Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Uh, he was talking about Lucifer falling. He said, I saw Lucifer fall. I saw him fall like a comet to the earth. So that's talking about him, his life before he was born as a baby. And so he says, nevertheless, uh, you know, don't rejoice over you have an authority, being, these spirits being subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So he was just changing the priority. They were, they were amazed. They said the devil, devils did everything we told them to do. They, they complied. He said, yeah, that's cool, but there's something even better, and that is that your names are written in heaven. I think they're written in a book. In Hebrews, there's a, a section in Hebrews that talks about our names registered in heaven. It's kind of like a bridal registry or a baby registry. Our, our names are written in heaven. In Philippians, this is a key verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, this is Paul's revelation. He said, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel 
with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the book of life. So now that you know Jesus, your name is actually written in heaven. It's registered. It's, it's, it's inscribed in a book of life. And there's this moment when all people will stand before the throne and the book of life will be, be read. Can you imagine everyone leaning in to hear their name being called out? I mean, it'll, people, it'll be a breathtaking moment. There'll be people who will be astonished to hear that their name is in there because they believed in Jesus some and got their names in. And then there'll be people who thought their names were in the book and they'll find out that their names weren't called. I mean, it's just going to be a crazy moment to hear the names being called. Paul believed that your names are already written in heaven. I think, that, I think your name is inscribed the, the moment you give your life to Jesus. However, Moses understood, somehow he had a revelation about this book. In Exodus 32, 33, he's interceding for the children of Israel who've been treating him so badly, yet he's interceding for them, asking God not to destroy them. And he said, Lord, uh, this is part of his intercession. I mean, just a tremendous pastor. Uh, no one loves like this. But, but Moses, he said, whoever has, uh, whoever has sinned against you, forgive them. And if you have to blot anyone's name out in, in, in their place, blot my name out of your book. And God probably just shook his head. He probably never heard anyone pray like that before. And finally, he says in verse 33, Exodus 32, 33, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. And so, although he appreciated Moses' intercession, I mean, who would love like that? Lord, if, if, anyone's, if anyone doesn't make heaven, let it be me, and that they, they could come in into heaven, just tremendous sacrifice. But God's saying, no, I have a book. The way you blot out someone's name, by the way, uh, these books are made out of lambskin. They're made out of parchment, parchment that has been cleaned and scraped and uh, then dried and stretched. And so what happens is you dip a, a quill in ink and you write, in and it's absorbed in the, in the tissue of, of the parchment, and if you make a mistake, what the scribe would do, and there's a special knife. I watched a guy doing this in Washington, D.C., who was writing as a scribe in the, in the Museum of the Bible. And he just takes his, his knife, and he, he begins to scrape, and he scrapes just lightly a little bit of the ink to move it off, and then he's got this uh, just a very light, damp, piece of sponge, and he just blots kind of to pick up the pieces of, of ink that he has scraped off, and now it's back, back to nothing, and he could write where he had blotted out a letter. And uh, David believed in that. He, he said in Psalm 69, verse 28, he's talking about his enemies. He says, let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written with the righteous. <laughs> what a thing to pray for your enemies. I don't want them to make, I don't want them to be in that book. Blot them out. I don't know if that's a very good prayer to pray. Uh, I'm not allowed to pray that way, that's for sure. 
But here's what Jesus said. He wrote seven letters to seven churches. And one of the churches, he said, he that overcomes, this is Revelation chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. He that overcomes will be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. So he's writing to Christians, and he's saying, I, if they overcome the pull of this world and all the stuff that's dragging them down, if they overcome, I won't blot their names out. So I guess what I'm saying is this. I, your name is written in the book of life, but it's not, it's not something that there's a guarantee attached to it. I don't believe in a kind of eternal security that now that it's in there, you can live like hell and do whatever you want to do and, and, and do your own life and expect your name to stay there. I think your name can be blotted out. I believe that. He seemed to imply that... that he wouldn't blot their names out. David, when he was praying in Psalm 51, very powerful psalm, by the way, if, you, if, you wanna, if you've sinned, this is a good place to go. He said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. But David had this picture of, Lord, I, I know you wrote down that I sinned back there. Would you blot it out? Take that out. I, I don't want any record of that. Another time in Psalm 51, he said to hide your face from my sins, blot out my iniquities, clean, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. We talked about steadfastness this morning. Yeah, steadfastness means I'm committed. Make me committed. Make me more committed than I really am. Yeah, there's more. There's other places that talk about this issue of blotting. It's very powerful. Let's take a few more minutes and just explore this whole thing. Um, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is today's Living Bible. He said, I've noticed that throughout the earth, justice is giving way to crime, and even the police courts are corrupt. I said to myself, in due season, God will judge every man, uh, everything man does, both good and bad. So Solomon believed in an ultimate judgment day where everything is kept track and, and there's this ultimate justice. He said, it looks like people are getting away with whatever they want to do. The, even the police are corrupt and, 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 and the country is going to um, give them way to crime. Does that sound like America today? I mean, if you watch the news, it really looks like it looks like they're getting away with it, except they're, they're not. There's a day of accountability where everyone will be brought before the Lord. And this, this section that I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you is called God Delights. That's that word, pleasure again. He, it's the highest level of pleasure. He delights in justice. God loves justice. And... Um, 
there's a couple of verses that, that, that talk about him loving justice. And so it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't look like there's a lot of justice down here. And it looks like people get away with things. But on that day of judgment, when everybody stands before him and everything that they've said and done is recorded, you'll actually hear your words played back to you. You'll hear your own words. Jesus, he said, I'm not going to judge them. Their own words are going to judge them. So there's, everything is caught. So people who are you know, going into Macy's and, and, and robbing it and, and the pharmacies in California, and they just look like they're getting away with stuff. They're not getting away with anything because God is a God of justice. This is Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. And I'll, I'll read it out of the NIV so you can put it up, but this is the NIV. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast in his wisdom or the strong boast in his strength or the rich boast in their riches. Let the one who boasts boast this, that they have understood, they have, uh, understood and know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these things I delight. He delights in justice. He loves kindness. He loves righteousness. What an amazing verse. Psalmist caught again. He says, let the waves clap their hands in glee and the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord, for he's coming to judge the world with perfect justice. He's coming to judge the world with perfect justice. You're going to see it. You're going to experience it. Psalm 33, 5, the Lord loves righteousness and justice and his mercy fills the earth. God loves justice. Here's, here's what I picture. I picture this moment where all of death and Hades is brought out. Angels are brought out. Evil spirits are brought out, and they're congregated together. All the good angels are congregated together. There's the congregation of the righteous and the congregation of the wicked. They're brought out of, they're brought out of where they've been waiting in hell, and they're, they're, they're congregated together. And then there's this focal point. All eyes, every angel, every, everybody who's ever been conceived, their eyes will be focused on one central person. And that throne is where Jesus will come. And he's been given authority by, by Father God to be the judge of the living and the dead. He's the judge. The, uh, people who believe in Muhammad, they believe in uh, Buddha, they believe in all kinds of things. But we will all stand before Jesus. Even those people will stand before Jesus. And, um, and, and then there's this moment. Lucifer is uh, brought out. <laughs> And Isaiah captured it. He saw, somehow in vision form, he saw Lucifer being brought out in chains. And he implied that everyone leaned forward and gasped. And, and that you're gonna, everyone's going to lean forward and go, ah, could this be the one that made the world tremble? Could this be the one who destroyed everything? It, it's almost implied, like, why were we afraid? He's only one. He's only one small person. He's not all-knowing. He's not omnipresent. The devil's not everywhere. He just pretends that he is. He just wants you to think he is. 
And there are people who just think the devil is behind everything and they give him too much power. But everyone's going to lean forward and they're going to say, man, one person, one created being did so much damage through fear, through intimidation. We're going to be shocked. People are going to say, why was, I, why was I so afraid? Why was I so locked up with the thinking that he could just destroy everything? He's just a, a created being. We'll see him. If you want to read that story, you can read it in Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 17, if you want to put it in your notes. Isaiah 14. Amazing. And every devil who's tormented you and lied in your ear has been assigned. I think there are demons that are designed, uh, assigned to destroy us, each of us. And uh, they will be there. And all the good angels that God has assigned to protect us and go ahead of us and watch over us, they will be there. And there's this little line in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, and he says uh, that, I'm, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Ephesians, no, got that wrong too. Hang in there. I have it here somewhere. I haven't read this in a while. It's in Corinthians. Ah, don't tell me I don't have it in my notes. Well, you know the line. They're, the Corinthians were taking each other to court, and Paul couldn't believe that they would go before uh, a Gentile judge and have their matters, their church matters, uh, resolved in court. And he says, don't you know that you'll judge angels? That was his question. Don't you know that you'll judge angels? So on this judgment day, the angels, each one of them, and they all have names, they will be judged, both good angels and bad angels. You'll see the angels that were tormenting you and prodding you with their, their, uh, that oppression and, and lying to you and trying to trip you up. And, trying, and you'll, see, you'll see your life, but you'll see behind the scenes and see the behavior and action of angels, both good and bad, and you'll judge them. You'll say, you, you have been tormenting me. You tried to, you led me astray. You seduced me in this area, and, and, I, and you'll pronounce a judgment upon them. And then the good angels, you'll say, you, all you did was encourage me. All you did was surround me. All you did was, you're a broken record saying, you can make it, you can make it. You were encouraging me. You were trying to protect me. Angels are funny. They're sticklers for, for God's order and for obedience to his word. So if you go off and do your own thing, you, they can't do much to stop the enemy from tormenting you. But if you cry out to God, they'll help you and they'll move you back into his will. But uh, if you wander, you trespass, you go off on your own. Uh, someone said, if, if, you know, angels will protect you while you're driving. But they said if you're speeding... And, and uh, he said there's that moment where you see the front end of your car goes down. That's when the angels are, are uh, sitting on the front of your car, on the hood of your car. And when you go too fast, the front end of 
That's them getting off. That's them saying, ah, you're breaking the law. You're on your own. It's funny and it's clever, but there's an element of truth in it as well. I was, um, I was in Chile, and um, um, we'd, led, we'd led these uh, three lads to the Lord in one of our meetings, and they were so hungry for God. The next morning, we had a pastor's breakfast, and they showed up just because they heard there was a meeting, and they had just gotten saved. And so we let, them, we let them in because they were just so hungry for God. They wanted to be in every meeting that we were at. And one of them, he was just so shocked. You could see on his face that something was happening. And, and they asked him in Spanish, they said, what, what are you thinking? I mean, they, he could just see that he, he was just so shocked. He said, you three men, Roger, Sergio, and Penn, you're sitting at the front. He said, there's big angels behind each of you, standing behind you. And his eyes were open to this reality. We didn't know that. We could sense a deep presence of the Lord wherever we're going. And we went into this one building. And I remember going into it, and there was really, it was, it was just kind of a dark building. But all of a sudden, a heavenly presence came into the room, and just like all heaven broke out. And, and someone said, uh, there are angels here tonight that come in with you guys, and that's your feeling is something of, of the glory of these angels in the room. And that was, a, that was a, like two, I think maybe even in the same day or a day apart. But then it got crazier. Uh, we got a bus after the end of that meeting. We went to the bus terminal and caught a bus to Santiago where we were staying uh, to continue our meetings. And um, uh, our brother picked us up at the, at the bus terminal and took me to my house, took Sergio and Roger and I, and they dropped me off. They were saying goodnight. It's in the middle of the night. And the owner of the house, uh, uh, named Jose, he, he come out, and he was really shaken. We could tell that he was shaken. He said, so glad to see you. He said, I, I, amazing thing happened tonight. He said, I was in bed, because we're, we're late, really late. He said, I was in bed. And, and I woke up because I heard a noise out in the living room. And I thought, who's in my house? And I've got company coming. And, 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 and uh, he was anxious about that. So he went out in the living room. And he could tell someone was there. And he says, who is it? Who's here? And this voice spoke to him and said, I'm Penn's angel. I've come ahead to prepare the place for him. And I, I mean, this was being told to me. I wasn't making this up. I, wasn't, I was hearing it like anyone else. I mean, do you ever sleep good at night knowing the angels are going ahead of you, protecting and providing? But what, a, what an amazing series of events where it's just like one day after the other that we were be, becoming aware of angels. Well, these angels, uh, I think some of them even look like you. Maybe you have an angel that's assigned from the time you're born who actually looks like you. It's possible because uh, Peter was in prison and, and he... An angel came and got him up. <laughs> the angel is so funny. The angel kind of kicks him because Peter's so trusting the Lord that he's asleep in prison. The angel kind of hits him on the side and says, okay, now get up. Bring your shoes and your, and your coat and come on with me. I mean, the angel is so considerate. So make sure you bring your sandals, everything that belongs to you. Bring your cloak. 
And so Peter, he's, he's not quite getting what's happening. He thinks it's a dream. He follows the angel. Every time the angel comes to a door, the door opens, and the angel walks through. Peter walks through. Finally, they walk out on street level, and this old gate opens. And next thing you know, Peter finds them out on a side street outside this prison. And the angel says, now go your way. And, and, and all of a sudden, Peter realizes, that's an angel. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought this was a dream. This was for real. I'm out of prison. So he runs to the house where they're, uh, they're gathered together to have a prayer meeting for him because another brother was in prison just before that and they cut off his head. And so they're having a prayer meeting for Peter. So he bangs at the door and this girl, I think her name was Rhoda, Rhoda opens the door and, and she says, it's Peter. And she closes the door. <laughs> she doesn't even let him in. And she goes in. She says, Peter's at the door. And they said, nah, nah. It's, it, maybe, maybe it's his angel. And it just makes me wonder if they thought he was dead or if they thought his angel looked and sounded like him. I remember reading a story. I wish I could find it. I read it. Years ago, and in all my books and, and collecting things, I've never come across it again, but it was, I'd love to read it again. It was such an inspiring thing. There's this dad, and he had a little boy, and, and he would uh, tell him bedtime stories. And uh, the little boy was asking, he says, Dad, do I have an angel? And he says, yeah, you, you, I believe God has assigned an angel to you. He said, can I see him? He said, I don't, I don't think so. I don't know, but I, you, know, you could ask God that. So the little boy the next day has a couple experiences that are amazing. When he came home and, and his dad comes home, he said, Dad, Dad, when I went to school today, I asked God, I said, can I see my angel? And I looked out the window of the car that was taking him to school, and beside the car, moving with him, was an angel moving with the car, outside the car. And the dad said, really? He says, yeah, I saw him. And he says, what does he look like? He says, he kind of looks like me, only he's bigger. He says, dad, dad, he's here now. He's in the room. And the dad could sense the presence of the Lord. He said, where is he? He said, he's over in the corner, and he's looking at us. And dad, every time you say the name of Jesus, he looks at you and smiles. And I just could never forget that story. It just, I'd love to be able to read it again and get more detail of it. But I think, I think just saying the name of Jesus, all the angels in this room that come in with you, they all just notice. I mean, when we sang that song and Ryan led us in that song tonight, I think the angels are thrilled to hear us sing about Jesus and sing about our love to him. You'll judge them. You know you'll judge them? You'll judge them faithful. You'll judge them as, as being faithful and Diligent, steadfast to protect you and provide and guide. Uh, one man said that he was resting on his bed. He was having a nap. A guy named Kenneth Hagen. And he was in a mobile home or trailer. 
and he felt like somebody stepped onto the trailer. And he, he thought the door opened and closed. And he felt like someone was in the room. And it, he ignored it, and it went away. And then sometime later, uh, Jesus showed up and talked to him. And there's this angel standing behind Jesus. And, and finally, after part of the conversation, he said, what's, what's the angel doing? What, why is he here? He says, oh, he has a message for you from, from God. He said, he came to your trailer the other day, but you didn't, you didn't acknowledge him. But he'll give you the message now. Isn't that something? Have you ever felt stuff like that? I have. Just makes me wonder. I think they're more real, they're more involved in our lives than you can possibly imagine. When I read the book of Acts, there's something about angels on, on almost every page of the book of Acts. Protecting their messengers sent forth to serve those who are heirs of salvation. Aaron, on that big truck of yours, there's angels. If you believe it and, and, and trust the Lord, you don't have to pray to angels, but you have to say, Lord, assign angels to my wheels, assign angels to my travels everywhere I go. I believe that's very, very real. Don't you? Well, you'll judge them. Your judgment will be this. Boy, boys, you did your job. You, you did your job. There was uh, a missionary working in India, and uh, he had a medical chest, and he would um, serve people. He'd find people with different ailments and diseases, and he'd break out of his chest and, and help them. And he, he found this guy whose hand had been split open by a machete. And so he took his hand, and he, he doctored him up, and he put salves, and he wrapped it, bandaged it up. But while the guy's hand was being doctored, he looked into his medical chest, and he's thinking, I could get a lot of money for that medicine. That's worth a lot of money. I'm going to rob the guy. And so he, he got a couple of his friends and waited for the missionary to begin walking through the jungle. And he was going to intercept him at a certain place with his friends and rob him of his chest. And, and something happened that caused him to flee. Later on, he met that missionary and he said, you know, we were going to rob you. But he said, you had all these huge men, these big men standing around you, all gathered around you, and they were so big and so mighty. We were terrified. We thought you were alone, but we fled. When we saw them, we fled. I think that's interesting. Well, it just happened that the missionary went home on leave and went back to his home church, and his pastor said, we had the strangest experience concerning you. He said, I just had this burden. I woke up with, early one morning with a burden that you were in trouble and we needed to pray for you. And I prayed for you to the limit of my understanding. And he said, then I prayed in tongues, but I still felt this burden, like you're in big trouble. And so I, I called the men of the church and I said, hey guys, this missionary, he needs us to pray for him. Come together and let's, let's storm heaven. Let's pray for him. And so all these guys showed up and we prayed. We stormed. We stomped around the room. We shouted. We raised our voices. We prayed in tongues we believe God that he would protect you. And he said, all of a sudden it lifted and we're all just filled with this amazing joy like whatever we prayed happened. And the guy said, 
do you know when that happened? He says, yeah, I have the date. And they compared dates. And he said, you know, this guy told me that he was going to rob me. But he said there was all these men around me. And it's the same date that you're praying back here. And the pastor said, wait a minute. He said, all the men who were in that prayer meeting stand up. And there were 28 men who stood up. Well, the, the guy who was going to rob the missionary said there were 28 big men standing around him. I think, I think our angels go to work and represent us and go places that we can't go physically, but they go and something happened as they prayed in the spirit. I believe in this kind of stuff. I, mean, I know it sounds old-fashioned or childish or childlike. I just believe in all of it. Don't you? Yeah.